0: As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or earth or any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. This is the word of God.
1: Um, good to have you here, my name's Gav, hope you had a good weekend, we're going to uh, look at the Bible, looking at James today as just said, I'm going to pray and then we'll jump into it, let's talk to God. Father we want to thank you that uh, you brought us here to speak to us, it's no accident that we are here today, uh, you love us dearly and you, you, wanna, you, you know us, you know what we need to hear right now and so you've brought us here to speak to us again. Lord, we want to pray that you would give us ears to hear, hearts that are ready to be spoken to, minds that are ready to be engaged with, help us to be able to put aside um, the past of the, of the week and the worries of, of tomorrow, help us to just to be, be still and sit in this moment to hear from our King and Creator. Whether we know it or not, we know we need to hear from you, It's what our souls long for, and so we want to hear more from you. Your word is food for our soul. We want to pray, Lord, that we would hear now and be fed. Lord, use me as your servant and to just point to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So most of you know that uh, earlier this year, my mum went home to be with the Lord. And so after this happened, my brother, sister, and I had the job of cleaning out her house. She lived in the same house for the last 45 years. And she threw nothing away. Like nothing. Like, cleaning out was like a time capsule. You go back and go, like, whoa, look at all this cool stuff. And so one thing that I thought was really cool we found was actually a book of love letters my mum and dad had wrote each other. We're just like, wow, that is pretty cool because I thought they hated each other's guts. But they didn't. They loved each other. So anyway, I uh, should have said that. Anyway, we'll get wrong with that, right? It's just sort of, you know, it comes out of here. Anyway, whatever, we'll roll with that. Um, and so well, we started through all, of the, all this cool old stuff, there was so much old stuff, and um, it was cool having my kids there to show them some old things in my childhood, but things they'd never seen before, like this, they had never seen a cassette tape, I held this up and I said, what is this, and they're like, I don't know, I have no idea what it is, because they'd never seen it before, then I showed them this. Again, no idea. They're pulling the paper, going, what is this thing? You know, like, what is this thing, um, this VHS? Um, uh, and then uh, we were cleaning the house out, till We found this, my old Sega Mega Drive. Yeah. yeah, right. Who had a Sega Mega Drive? You want to see one at a museum, maybe? No, yeah, I had one, right? I used to play on them. And so Jet and I brought it home, and we actually played the original Sonic the Hedgehog together on our TV. I still have it. You want to come home and play? I still got it, right? Come on, have a Mega Drive party at my house. Um, but so pixelated and so slow when he moved. Anyway, um, we, we had one of those. lots so looks good fun, show my kids things. The other thing that I, that I had growing up, I couldn't find it, but we, we had was one of these. So this is a Commodore 64. Yeah. Oh, wow. I saw, yeah. I was like, what is that? I had one of these. This is what I had growing up. It was a Commodore 64. Anyone have one of these? No. Yeah, right. Yeah all right, I'm old. It's fine. Whatever. Um, this is what I had growing up. And to play games, you had to get a, a big, like a giant floppy disk and put in the disk drive there on the left-hand side. And then you type in the, like L-O-A-D load. And then you had to do all these little numbers and things. And then, then you press enter. Then you just sat and wait. You used to wait. You wait while this whole thing was loading and winding up to go. And um, it was like when the, the incident first, uh, first hit home. So I remember getting internet at, the home, at our, our house for the first time and you have to um, unplug the telephone and plug it in the back of your computer, but you had to check that no was on the phone, like, no, I'm on the phone, Gab, don't do that, I'm like, no, I've got his internet, and then unplug it and you plug it into the back of your computer and then you hit the oh, dial up and so you hit the, hit the um, connect to the big, you know, internet explorer and you'd hear this noise. <laughs> silence, you hear silence, you hear this. Right. right. And you thought, What's, is there an alien in my computer? What is, what is happening? Why is the internet just creeping me out? Like what is going on there? So you hear that noise. And then you sit there, and then you wait some more. And you wait, and it's like five, ten minutes during peak time. You're sitting there just waiting, waiting, waiting. And then just to open one, one web page, you'd wait. As it download it, slowly move down. And to download a PDF, you like this slowly. And you see a little thing saying 10 minutes. I'm like one page, 10 minutes. And you just sat and you wait and you watched while, while you just waited for your computer to load. And it taught you patience, right? It taught you you had to learn patience. And I think now in, 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 this, uh, in this way, the advancement of technology is done a disservice to us because we don't have to wait anymore. Remember when you wanted to make a phone call? Maybe you don't remember this. When I had to make a phone call, I had to go home and use a home phone. I had to wait until I got home to use the phone. Now we just pull our phones out, email, call, text, social media, internet, all at our fingertips. No more waiting. Let's do it now. And I think this has led us to not not being great at being patient. We don't have to wait. We hate waiting. I hate waiting too. I'm the guy in the traffic trying to change lanes, find the fastest lane. I hate waiting for an order at 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 a coffee shop or waiting for food, we, we hate waiting, and our world is geared up to not to help us uh, to wait. You know, it's like as the world's got faster, it's helped us become more impatient, and patience is often what we need. Now, even now, like, you know, we want movies, how do we get, we stream to our house in our lounge room, you want food, it's Uber Eats straight away, you want information, get on your phone, it's instant, we don't, we don't want to wait, and we don't have to wait anymore. Just this week, I was trying to watch a video on Facebook that I thought was be cool to watch. 15 seconds in, I was bored, and I jumped to the end of the video because I couldn't wait two minutes. Like, I need those two minutes. Don't let me waste them, right? How many of us this week were trying to download a document or a picture, or open an app, but gave up because it was taking too long? Well, we're just not great at waiting, and as everything's got faster, it's only served to frustrate us. And I'd say that I don't think this is great for our souls. We are impatient. And it's hard because. We live in a world where we often don't know what is coming next. We often don't know uh, how life is going to be for us. And often we are forced to wait. We don't have all the answers. We We are made to be uncomfortable. We live in a fallen world where there is pain, where there is hardship, where there are tough times. And we're forced to wait with no answers. We're forced to stand firm. And what we need is patience. But we're not great at that. As Jes was saying, the book of James is all about real faith in real life. And today, James is going to say in this chapter 5, is that real faith looks like patience, especially in the face of trials. The question is, how do we do that? And James will show us how we do that as we look through this. Here's some uh, three observations I'm going to show you from this passage, and it's there. Be patient, the Lord is coming and looking to the past, as we look at James 5, 7 to 12. Let me uh, me read to you sentences 7 to 9 first. It says this. James says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So the first, the, the real command James says straight away is, Be patient, he's saying be patient straight away, to stand firm. Now, context is important in this letter. James is writing to a church, he's a leader of the church in Jerusalem for people who were Jews but now followers of Jesus, and he's the leader of the church there, and he's speaking to them, and uh, he's saying uh, stand firm, be patient for a reason. He's speaking to the situation. Last week, we looked at James 5, and we looked at uh, the wealthy of, uh, of society oppressing and um, stamping down uh, on those underneath and that work for them, oppressed those underneath them, and, uh, and a lot of injustice was going on. Now, James seems to be speaking here to those who are being oppressed, those in the church, and he's saying to them, in light of what's going on to, for you, be patient, stand firm, even though you are being unfairly treated and, and being treated unjustly. Stand firm, he says. Now, what's interesting to note here is he's not saying, take justice in your own hands, fight back, push against. No, he's saying, stand firm under unjust suffering. He says it again in sentence eight. Establish your heart, take courage, be patient. And when you think about patience and standing firm, it's not a passive thing. It's actually an active thing. You have to do it. You have to push towards this. Uh, Standing firm and, and, and patience takes effort. I mentioned before that um, uh, in my late teenage years I decided to play play rugby rather than soccer, and um, uh, I had to learn the rules of the game I hadn't played before. And so I went down to a training session. They said, "Okay, you're a big guy. You're a forward." I'm like great. And uh, rugby works. You got you got 15 players. You have forwards. You have backs. Basically, half the team. Forwards are the big guys. Backs are the little guys that score the tries. That's sort of how it works. As a forward, you've got to learn how to do things like lineouts and scrums. Uh, a line out is where the ball is kicked out over the sideline, and the game restarts by someone throwing the ball in like this, right? Um, uh, forwards jump in the air, they lift them, and you catch the ball. How good is church? Learn about rugby. Anyway, let's let's just you know, you're welcome. Like rugby is great, but the other thing you uh, you have to do is learn how to scrum. And here's here's the next photo of this: is that uh, as a forward, you've got to learn how to scrum. When someone knocks the ball on, you got, 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 got to you got to get you got to you form a scrum. And you have to learn how to do this, and it's all about getting your body height low, driving through your legs, um, and pushing together as a team, as one unit. Um, and I, can I say this looks this scrum looks as bad as it is? Like being one of those things is painful and it hurts a lot, and it stinks. Like just sweaty men squashed together with your head running into each other's bum. It's not a nice. It's not a nice thing. But the whole thing of a scrum is that you have to push. You've got to drive. You've got to go forward. And if you push and drive and go forward, you don't lose ground. You stay, you stay where you are. You are steadfast. The other teams try trying to push you back, but you need to push back against them so you hold your ground. So you hold your ground. Not a, you can't be passive in a scrum. You've got to work. You've got to push forward. And James was saying the same thing about being patient is you have to work. You have to. You can't be passive. To remain steadfast and stand strong, you've got to go. You've got to fight you, you can't give up. That's what he's saying. But why? Why are we, are we to be patient? Why is James saying to be patient and to stand firm during these hard times? Well, I think the illustration of the farmer that he mentions in sentence 7 gives us a clue why. Have a look at this again. James says, be patient um, uh, until the coming of the Lord. Then he says this, this illustration he uses. He says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth before being patient about it, until it receives the early and late rains. I think this idea he's trying to show here about being patient with the farmer, standing, standing firm through trials, helps us to have, uh, for, uh, and God's accomplishing something in us through standing firm. James speaks of this farmer who has to wait for the rain, and he says there, this precious fruit is produced as the farmer waits for the rains. And again, the farmer wouldn't have been passive in his waiting. He would have pulled the weeds, he would have fertilized, tilled the soil, and planted more seed as he waited for the rains to come. Knowing that the precious fruit will be produced once the rain is here. And James likens the farmer waiting patiently for the rain, with us remaining steadfast and waiting patiently for God to work in us. And I think that precious fruit that he's talking about as we wait is is, is a, a fruit of character, a fruit of righteousness. If you think back to James 1, James said this in James 1, verses 2 and 4, look at this. He says, can, uh, can it all join, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds? Uh, you know that your testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and steadfastness has its full effect that you know, may be complete, uh, perfect, and lacking in nothing. This idea of God is accomplishing Producing in you through trials this fruit of righteousness, this development of character. He's working in you, producing in you a love, a joy, a peace, a patience, a kindness, a goodness, a faithfulness. God is working in these trials to produce fruit in your life. So James is saying here, be patient. The Lord is at work in your struggle. He's at work in your joy. He's at work in your losses. He's he's accomplishing things. He's building your confidence, breaking down your idolatries in your life. James is saying, stand firm. God has not left you. He's not punishing you. You are fully loved and accepted in Jesus. That doesn't mean that God is going to uh, uh, that God is, uh, doesn't mean that God's going to not cause trials or suffering because he produces fruit through those. He loves you so much, he's using every situation to grow you more like Jesus, which is our greatest joy. He says, be patient, stand firm. God is accomplishing things through these seasons. But how are you to stand firm? How is it possible to stand firm when hardship comes, to be patient? How are we to do that? Well, James speaks into this. Again, let me show you uh, uh, Sentences sentence of seven to nine. James says again, be patient, therefore, brothers, until what? Until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit, being patient about it until it receives early and late rains. You also be patient, establish your heart, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Don't grumble against one another, brothers, so that it may not, may not be judged. Behold, the judge is at the door. Now remember, this is James speaking to people who are being oppressed, who are suffering unjustly, and he's saying, stand firm, God is at work. But how are they to do this? By knowing the Lord is coming. The Lord is coming, he says, and the Lord will bring justice. And he cares so much about them and the situations that he will come and bring justice and care. Because he does care and he will act. The Bible tells us that the next moment in biblical history or biblical salvation is that Jesus will return. And Jesus' return is not just an in-house church event that is just for Christians only. It is an event that will, is global, that is cataclysmic, and it will herald the judgment of all sin and, all, and the writing of all wrongdoings. And so James is calling his listeners who are facing injustice and hardship... To stand firm and be patient because this will not last forever. It's patience for a defined time, a defined period. His listeners have the power to stand firm and be patient because they're suffering and will be dealt with thoroughly once and for all by Jesus when he comes. So they can afford to hang in there in light of the coming of Christ. James is saying knowing the end with confidence makes it possible to bear up under circumstances which seem impossible. Jesus is coming, and He will end all the hardship. In my household, uh, we have a bedtime routine. And so that uh, first thing is the kids go have showers, which they are just allergic to water at shower time for some reason, and hate going into the showers. So we have our shower roster we, we stick to. And then after they have a quick shower, we, we have dinner together. And uh, We share about our days, and uh, we've just started doing a little devotional as a family, which each kid takes a turn leading, which is so much fun. It's been a highlight of the year so far for me. We then eat dinner, and depending on what night it is, uh, it's teeth and then bed. And then Kay and I sort of lay with each kid, and again, we have a roster for that, Who's turns first, we do that. And then we read the Bible, pray with them, read a book, and then I often say to them, uh, or we say to them, what, is, what, is, what do you want prayer for tonight? And one of the main things uh, the kids say, or the girls especially say, hey, Daddy, can you pray that I have no bad dreams? They, my kids hate having nightmares, and I understand that. We all hate having nightmares, and they, they fear having nightmares. I remember one time, um, a little while ago, a few, a few years ago, I was in bed, and I, could, I woke up in the middle of the night, and I could hear one of my kids whimpering in the middle of the night. I got out of bed went to see, and I saw one of my kids sitting upright in bed, and they were just crying. And so I wrapped my arms around them, gave them this huge hug, and I said, it's okay, you know, what's going on? It's going to be okay, I'm here. And they said, I had a nightmare. And I replied, you know, it's gone now, it's just a dream, it can no longer hurt you. James says in the Bible, sorry, James says, the Bible says, and God says, I'm coming. So followers of Jesus can say, my dad is coming. My dad is coming. And when he does, he'll make all past suffering and current hardship feel like a dream that can no longer hurt you. He too will say, everything from now on will be okay. Nothing can hurt you, for I am here. For the past 2,000 years, in the hearts and minds of all followers of Jesus, is is this imminent return of the King. He is coming. And he will make all things that are sad come untrue. And he will redeem all things. And every second, all of history is moving closer to that final day. Our God is coming to get us. Let me paint a picture for you of what that, what that final consummation, that final day will look like. And what it will be like for followers of Jesus. Get this beautiful picture in Revelation 21. I'm sure you're aware of it. Let me read it to you again and give you a picture of what it will be like. I can't get enough of this. Revelation 21 says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. The sea was a place of chaos, of disorder. It's gone. I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven with God, prepared as a bride, adorned for a husband, and I heard a loud voice saying this from the throne, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, any for the former things have passed away, and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. And this is coming. This moment is coming. And we are closer now than we were when we first walked in the door this afternoon. And this is where I think, I, I believe, this is where Christian hope lies and hinges. That he's coming. That he'll make all things new. Tears, mourning, loss, sadness, death, sickness. All vanished. All done. For our God is coming. And James says then, hold tight. You're almost there. Be patient. We're almost there. It won't be long now. Every bit of difficulty, of suffering, of, of depression, of anxiety, of weariness, of hardship will be over on that day. Hold on. And his nearness, his, his coming is the ground for standing firm, James says. to Be patient. He will bring justice. And James says, live in light of that impending coming of Christ. He even gives a warning and says, don't grumble against each other in the church, because the judge is standing at the door. He's almost here, saying, live and act and stand firm, because Jesus is coming. And he'll be here soon. One of the final encouragement James gives to stand firm is uh, looking back. Let me show you this from sentences 10 and 11. It says this. An example of, uh, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers. Look, uh, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. I don't know about you, but when I have a hard task to do, something that I that I that I knows really hard and painful, I want to know that someone else has been through it before I have, to know that it's actually doable and I can survive. You know, I might want to go and chat to them and figure out what their secrets were to, to glean some wisdom to help to get through what I need to get through. You know, it might be you know you might have to do a presentation at work or at uni that's really stressing you out. You might have to go have a medical procedure. You might be struggling with anxiety or depression. But talking to others who have been through it and got on the other side, you want to hear from the experience to help you to stand firm, be patient. This is what James is saying here. He's saying, look at the example of the prophets in the Bible. Look at Job. These were real people. And James is saying, look to them. Look what they were like. They suffered and remained steadfast and patient. I think James wants us, these readers to know and us to know that suffering is not unique. We are not unique when we suffer. We face hardship. You look at the Bible and you see the experience of those who followed God or Jesus throughout history and they've all suffered. That's a sobering thought. That's hard for us, I think, in a Western culture where we idolize safety and security and comfort and we assume it and expect it and we see on social media everyone living these great lives and having a great time and I look at my life and that doesn't match that. What's wrong with me? Or hardship comes and like, God's ripped me off. How dare he? When you read the Bible, there's no promise, there's no false hope that this life will be Heaven. Heaven is heaven. This life is fallen. This world is broken. There are great things to enjoy, but there's also suffering and pain. We experience the the consequence of sin in this world. We try to hide that, I think, but it's a broken world we live in. And then what we try and do to try and suppress it, it always seeps through. Life is hard. One of the curse of sin, that helps us to know that this isn't all there is. The best is yet to come. Secondly, James also points to the prophets and saying, they've survived. They, they got through it. You too, looking at their example, can keep on going through hard times. And it's helpful to look at someone who's been through it and saying, they survived. I can do it as well. And James is saying, look at them. It's possible to remain steadfast and patient as they suffer. It can be done. And in sentence 10, he even says, while they were suffering, these prophets continue to speak in the name of the Lord. They didn't turn inward and saying this sucks, it got nothing to do with God. They're saying, this sucks, but God is still good. And let's keep loving people. James is saying, suffering is not abnormal. Look back to the past and see the example of those who have remained patient and steadfast. They remain faithful in tough times. I think when we suffer, we're often think we often saying, think, what is God doing? How can I trust Him? Look what's happening. But We look at when others have suffered and look at the prophets, we see through their life and through the whole, scale, the whole sphere of their life that God was still faithful to His promises, even in the hardship. You look at the example of Job, and that's a crazy story of what God did there, but God did never, never left Job. He was still with him. And James wants to encourage us to hang in there e be patient because God's promises are true. When in the last days, the old will pass away, the new will come. And, and on that day, we will see how all our suffering fits together for God's glory. But the Bible doesn't promise to tell you now what's going on or a life of ease or a life without tears. But God's promises are still true. And He will hold on to you. He will not let you go. He will not give you what you cannot bear. He will sustain you. We can often have I think we can often have fears, and I, I have fears about, but what happens if suffering comes? Will I be able to survive? Well, I think that God gives us the strength in each moment to meet the challenges that come at us. And we need to cling to his promises to speak against those fears and anxieties that come. We to be patient, because God's promises are true. I love what Hebrews 12, 1 to 3 says to sort of summarize this. It says, "Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, that is the prophets, that is people of the Old Testament, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses." It says, um, uh, "Let us lay aside every weight or sin that it clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race set before us, and looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy he was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the of the throne in, of, of, of God." Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so we may not grow weary or faint-hearted. The example of the prophet, the example of Jesus, and we have the one who's at the right hand of the Father on our side to keep going to be patient. I want to finish with just a story. I think of a uh, a modern day example of someone who ran the race with patience and endurance and steadfastness. You may or may not have heard of this person. Her name is Esther Ann Kim. She's had a phenomenal woman who was around in in the 1930s, and this is her story I want to share with you today. It says this. Esther Ann Kim walked slowly up the hill to the shrine where her students followed silently behind her. This young music teacher knew that when she arrived at the place of worship, she'd be forced to make a life-altering choice. The Japanese who had taken control of Korea two years prior in 1937 were forcing everyone to bow at the shrine of their sun god. The punishment for refusing was imprisonment, torture, and possibly death. At that moment, Esther knew what she should do. Even though so many Christians had decided that outwardly, bowing to the idol was acceptable as long as they continued to worship Christ in their hearts, Esther could make no such compromise. She would not bow to any other but the one true God. And defying the Japanese warlords would most likely mean torture and imprisonment. But Esther decided that she would not live her youthful life for herself. She would offer it fully to her prince, Jesus. She said a silent prayer to him. She said, Today on the mountain, before the large crowd, I will proclaim there is no other God but you, she said. Esther's group was the last to arrive at the shrine, and a huge crowd had gathered. Standing in straight, respectful lines, afraid to move because of the cruel gazes of the Japanese policemen, Esther's heart began to pound with dread for what she was about to do. A sense of uneasiness swept over her as she silently repeated the Lord's prayer over and over. Lord, she prayed, I am so weak. Please help me to do this. Watch over me as I stand for you. Attention, came the commanding, uh, commanding voice of one of the officials. The crowd stood in silent submission. Bowed to Amaratsu Omakai, the sun god. As he shouted the words, the entire group bent their upper half of their bodies, bowing solemnly before the shrine. Esther was the only one who remained standing upright, looking at the sky. The fear and uncertainty that had gripped her just moments before had now vanished, and calmness and peace flooded her heart. She had done what she knew God wanted her to do. On the long walk back to school, Esther continued her dialogue with God. I've done what I shouldn't have done, she told him. Now I commit the rest to you. I died to on that mountain, and now it is only you who lives through me, and I leave everything in your hands. When she arrived back at school, four detectives were waiting for her. Years of intense suffering for the Lord were about to begin. But something happened to Esther that day in front of the shrine. Something changed in her forever. She was no longer afraid of what men could do to her. Her life was only a tool in the hands of her loyal Jesus. For several months, Esther lived in hiding. She knew it was only a matter of time before she was found in prison for, for the stand she had taken against the Japanese. But instead of, instead of cowering in fear and worry about what the future held, she decided to prepare her heart and her body to suffer for Christ. I knew it would be impossible for me to keep my faith in my own power, Esther wrote, uh, wrote later. God would have to work through me if I was to stand for him. So, months of faithful, diligent preparation, fasting, memorizing scripture, tireless praying, and training to endure harsh conditions tr- transformed Esther from a weak, frail, young, faltering woman to a bold and confident ambassador for Christ. Instead of fearing torture, she now faced it boldly in the power, of, of, in the power and grace of God. She felt God calling her to come out of hiding and boldly proclaim the truth of the gospel among the Japanese. And she knew this would likely lead to her death, but she was determined to follow the lamb wherever he led her. Her courageous stand for Christ led to six harrowing years in Japanese prisons. During that time, though her body grew weak with suffering, she she shone with supernatural love toward her persecutors and her fellow prisoners. Even though tortured, she refused to deny the name of Jesus. And her her astounding example of suffering hardship as a good soldier of Jesus brought many into the kingdom who would never have heard the gospel otherwise. After she was released, the story of her imprisonment and unwavering faith became an all-time religious best-selling Korea, and inspiring thousands to stand strong in their faith. One, oh, one time in prison, she gave up her meager f- uh, prison food for, for several days to a woman who was filthy, who was covered in her own feces, who was insane and sentenced to death for murdering her husband. But instead of being repulsed by the woman, as all the other prisoners were, Esther pl- prayed relentlessly for her held, her, held her close to keep her warm. Sacrificing her own comforts to reach a woman's heart, that woman died in her right mind, knowing Jesus with a hope and a future. It's the story of Esther, Ann, Kim, a woman who was patient, who stood firm in the face of severe trials. James calls us to be patient, to stand firm, knowing that Jesus is coming. Let me pray for us. Father, we want to thank you for. For your word in James, it is sobering. Lord, we know that this world is broken and we try to ignore that. Father, we're going to pray for those of us right now who are feeling that. I want to pray, Lord, for those who are feeling under under trials, under suffering. For those of us with Fear, worry, anxiety, depression. I want to pray for healing. I want to pray as well as a patience and a steadfastness, not knowing what you are doing or where your hand is, and can often feel like we are clamoring around the dark, not knowing where the light is. I want to pray for those of us who are feeling like we are suffering at the moment. I to want to pray that we would be people who remind each other to stand firm, to be patient, knowing this is for a time. Lord, we experience the brokenness of our world. We experience the, the consequence of sin that we contribute to. So, for, so Lord, we want to, we're going to pray that we, look out, we would lift our eyes up to Jesus, our perfecter, the author of our faith, knowing that he is coming soon, we pray. Lord Jesus, come soon. Come, bring us home. Thank you so much for the hope that we have of eternity, of glory, knowing that this is not the end. The best is yet to come. And you will come and you will right all the wrongs. You will heal all the wounds. You will bind all the sadness. You will take away all the sting of death. And thank you, Jesus, we have seen the first fruits already in you rising from the dead. We want to look back to the cross and to cling to that hope and look forward to the future redemption of our bodies and our souls and of this world. We want to pray we live in light of that now as we wait wait patiently and stand firm. For those of us who are going to suffer in the future, and the sobering thought is we all will, we want to pray, Lord, you would strengthen our faith now being ready for that. Clinging to you. Lord, help us to fix our eyes on the better day that is to come. And know that in the meantime, you are with us. You never leave us nor forsake us. You are close. Help us to hold on for your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name, Amen.